Our reading is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, and reading the first 13 verses. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Thanks be to God for his word. And for those who like a text to take home and ponder on, I've taken verse 6, which says, This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I understand you've been working your way through the book of Ephesians and when Kate rang me last week to say that uh, I needed someone for today, um, she asked if I would continue the theme and this was the next passage of scripture. Probably going to tell you things that you've heard before to begin with because then this was written while Paul was in prison in Rome, somewhere around we think 61 AD, 61 years after the birth of Christ, and he was writing to the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus, which was at that time ruled by the Romans. It was the capital of Asia, and it was a busy port and the center of a lot of the world's trade. So it was a busy cosmopolitan place. And there in the middle, dominating the city, was the temple of Diana, or Artemis, as she's sometimes known and reported in Scripture. 
And we read in Acts chapter 19, when Paul actually visited Ephesus, he came into conflict with the workers in Ephesus who used to make models of, the, of Diana. And Dionysus in particular, our big upon Demetrius in particular, was very cross with Paul. Because what Paul was preaching was that there are no gods to be worshipped that can be made by human hands. And it was affecting their trade. People were turning to Christ and the temple worship of Diana Artemis was falling away. And so their trade of selling these models for people to worship was falling away as well. And it came to a head when Paul was arrested and brought before the people to argue the case. And eventually he had to leave. This letter is slightly different to other Pauline letters. There's no special greeting at the beginning and no message to any one particular person. I've just finished reading through the book of Colossians. And there at the end... Paul gives a, a long list of those to whom he, or from whom he sends greetings and to whom he wishes greetings to go. But there's none of that here in this book of Ephesians. And neither does there seem to be any particular problem within the church, not like the church at Corinth, for example. And that's why he wrote such long letters to the church at Corinth. Corinth 1, he tells them what they were doing that wasn't quite right. And in Corinthians 2... He's a bit disappointed they haven't put it all right yet. Just this one letter to the Ephesian church. It was a letter to encourage the personal faith of the Christians in Ephesus. He says at the beginning of the day of today's reading that he's a prisoner because of those who were not Jews. He was a prisoner because he had dared to go to preach to the Gentiles. He had come to bring good news to those who, according to Jewish tradition, were outside God's mercy and God's love. And it was radical. It put him again in conflict with the Jewish leaders. This same man who had held the coats of those who stoned Stephen because of what Stephen had said about Jesus being the only way to God and that it was open to all was now the man who was preaching exactly the same message. This year, as you may well have been reminded again before, is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg in Germany. You may have watched on television, as I did, a program called Reformation, which showed the courage of Luther and those who were determined that the teaching of the Pope, of the Roman Church, was not right. That it was not through the selling of indulgences and saying certain prayers because the priest told you to. At much personal sacrifice, this brave monk pointed out that to anyone that would listen, that the good news of Jesus 
was free and for all. It wasn't again for the favoured few. He declared that justification by faith alone in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus was what people needed to believe. And what Martin Luther declared was an echo of what Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus. The Jewish leaders believed that God had chosen Israel. And I still believe they were the chosen race. We can't get away from that in scripture. But Paul came into conflict by declaring that Gentiles and Jews could all be members of the same group. That's a bit like saying people from Histon and Cottenham can get together and be happy about it. And the Jewish people were not pleased. We're the chosen race. We have Abraham to our father. We have the promises laid down through the ages in our scriptures. We've heard them read week by week in the synagogue. We are the chosen people. And Paul, this Jew, comes along and says, not you only. Not you only. And in the Galatian church, we read in the letter to the Galatians, there was an argument amongst the Jewish converts as to whether they should be circumcised or not when they became Christians, those who were Gentiles who became Christians, should they become partly Jewish as well? Should they t buy in to the Jewish tradition as well as accepting that Jesus was their saviour? And Paul writing to the Galatians in chapter 3 in verses 28 to 29 says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And here's the echo of our text, isn't it? The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. You may remember that on the last occasion I was with you, I think it was the last occasion, that with the help of my wife and with Steve, we did a sketch called One Church, One Faith. And the sketch spoke gentle fun at the differences that we have between our churches. And what we may have smiled at at the time, there is a serious point underlining the sketch, that what, it, what is it? that we are doing that might be dividing the body of Christ? Is there a danger that we might be putting up barriers to those who would become Christians because we say you have to do this? You have to behave in this way? At our home group on Tuesday evening, our leader Hillary challenged us with a series of different situations of I think it was about six different types of people coming into the church who didn't fit the particular pattern that our church normally follows. There was one who was quite disruptive and whose language was a bit rough, who'd become a Christian, 
But his language wasn't quite as sweet as it ought to have been. There was another one who was a Christian, and it happened to be a lady on this occasion, I'm not sure it's always true, but who wanted to be in charge of everything. And she wanted it done her way. And these people were the sort of people that can rub you up the wrong way sometimes. I mean, the barrier that Martin Luther encountered was ignorance. People were ignorant of the scriptures. They could only believe what it was that the priest was telling them from the front when he read in Latin and then interpreted. They couldn't read it for themselves. And Martin Luther produced the first Bible in German for the German people. And he was pilloried for it. The barrier that Paul encountered was prejudice. He couldn't get past, the the Jews couldn't get past the fact that they weren't the only ones. It's our race. It's our church. It's mine. A little bit like um, Gollum in the Lord of the Rings. It's my precious Are we in danger of doing the same thing? Do we allow the language that we use, the prejudices that we have, to be a barrier preventing people from coming to know Christ? Or do we find it difficult sharing in worship with those who are definitely Christian but come from a different tradition? As we said in that sketch, do we call it the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, or the Eucharist? And do we allow the fact that someone else calls it by another name to be a barrier to our sharing at the Lord's table? Do we find we use Christianized words that people outside the fellowship don't understand? And do we find that we are prejudiced against someone joining because of their race, their color, their sexuality? Or their background? What barriers do we put up? In Mark 4 and verse 11, Jesus spoke of the secret of the kingdom of God. In our Bible passage today, Paul uses the word mystery four times. This is an echo of the word secret. And this great secret, this great mystery, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. The words of two of the verses of a Charles Wesley hymn. You will know it, perhaps some of you. It's a hymn that starts, let earth and heaven agree. I was going to use it this morning, but it wasn't on your list of approved songs, so I didn't choose it. O unexampled love, O all-redeeming grace, How swiftly didst thou move to save a fallen race? What shall I do to make it known what thou for all mankind has done? Oh, for a trumpet voice on all the world to call, to bid their hearts rejoice in him who died for all. For all, my Lord, was crucified. For all, for all. My Saviour died. Just two illustrations, perhaps, of where barriers can arise very quickly. I was listening on the radio to a young Coptic Christian priest being interviewed. He was was a Londoner, but he was actually in Egypt at the time, where the Coptic Christians 
have been persecuted beyond belief. Persecution such as they wouldn't even dare show on television after the threshold. And the interviewer said to him, what do you think about these people who have been doing it? And he said, we love them. And the interviewer said, how can you love them? And the priest simply said, we know it's not them that are doing it, it's the evil within them. And we are called to love and to forgive. No barriers. And some of you may have seen on the television news the story of a young man in South Wales who was convicted of taking the life of his adopted 18-month-old daughter. I taught that young man. I had him in my school for seven years. He was in my class for two. And I had to think very carefully when I was planning this service for all For all, my Saviour died. For all, for all, was crucified. Yes, even for Matthew. Despite the terrible deed that he carried out, it was for him too that Christ died. Difficult as I find that. Would I put up a barrier if I was to meet him now? I have put up barriers in the past, and I think my wife would say I still do. And I have to be so careful not to put up barriers of prejudice of any kind. This is the great mystery that was made known by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. No one needs to be left outside the saving power of our gracious God. The good news is for all. But we have to accept it, of course, for ourselves. I would ask you, if you remember nothing else from this morning, that you would remember, for all my Lord was crucified. For all. For all. And that includes your neighbor, the family member you find difficult, the work colleague that rubs you up the wrong way. For all. For all. My Savior died.